Good day, all. Welcome to another episode of Learning Bible Truth Ministries. I am the founder, host, and teacher, your one and only Dr. Kamla D., here to teach you Bible truth. Not my truth, Bible truth. Bible truth allows you to grow in faith and walk in God's amazing grace. Here we rightly divide scriptures that contain the true and living God's word. Remember to pray and ask God for understanding. Put your learning hats on. Get your Bibles. Invite family and friends. Take notes. And let's learn Bible truth. Good day, saints. Today is Saturday, September the 16th of the year 2023. I am the host, founder, and teacher of Learning Bible Truth Ministries, your one and only Dr. Kamla D. Now I know before some of you start fussing at me, I have been missing in action. Now I know some of you know, and some of you may not know because I have new listeners every week that I had surgery on the 31st of August and I have been um, out of work since. My doctor just approved for me to return to work next week. I have been mentally drained. I'm physically fine. Let me make that clear. I am physically fine to God be all the glory. But I am mentally drained and I have been. Now, I have still been studying and and writing my notes for uh, an upcoming. It's not going to be a series. It's going to be an episode that I will be talking about Islam. So, you know, I'm very I'm being very particular and careful with this information that I am gathering. But I will not be sharing that today. Today, I will be continuing an episode or an excerpt from the race, religion and racism series that Apostle Frederick Casey Price, the late great apostle Frederick Casey Price Sr., started back in 1997. Um, Now this one, let me tell you, I skipped a couple of episodes to get to this one. So it's a a little different from the last one I I played. You, uh, look, you have to really want to know about black history to tolerate this. It is truth. It is relevant today. And he taught this back in 1997, but it is relevant today. I use my platform to share truth. Black history is very important, not just to the United States, but to the world. And God bless Frederick Casey Price for teaching black history. And I'm here to tell you some of this information that you will hear today is going to upset some of you. It may make some of you feel angry. It definitely will make some of you be Uh, or feel saddened and some of you just glad you heard the truth but I tell you you cannot erase black history because the information is out there and you can't get rid of it it doesn't matter what racist governors you have in your state that is trying to block certain teachings for the life of me I can't figure out why they don't want it taught But the information is out there. And as long as I have a platform, I will share it. So I want you to sit back, relax and listen to Bible truth as it relates to black history and truth as it relates to American history. 
time I left off with several scriptures, and uh, I want to go back and pick up there so we have continuity. I asked the question, what are we going to do about this superior and inferior lie that has been hatched in this nation about blacks and about whites? What are we going to do about it? In the face, I'm talking primarily to Christians, in the face of what the Bible says about the subject, in the sense of relating to each other. Now, turn in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 16. These were the last scriptures that I dealt with as we close, but I want to go back for the sake of continuity, and I want you to see these things, because this is the crux. By the way, I'm teaching on the subject of race, religion, and racism. I'm right now in the segment of the threefold series called Racism, and we're dealing with some things that have to do with racism in America and primarily in, in, in the church. That's what I'm dealing with is the church, okay? And, uh, but yet I know that society is made up of Christians, and they are the ones that they work in banks. They're presidents of banks. They work in jobs. They're managers of companies. They're owners of companies, owners of businesses. So how they act towards people, if they are Christian, then their actions should line up with what the Word of God declares. Therefore, they cannot be discriminatory uh, from an ethnic point of view because God is not. And if you claim to know God and have God's Spirit in you, then you can have an attitude that would be contrary to the Spirit of God. So either you're not saved and think you are, or you're disobedient to God's Word. Okay? Is everything okay, fellas? Okay, I appreciate that. That's good. They were waiting. Okay, good. They had to come back. Y'all doing okay? You all right? All right now. Don't let nobody mess with you. I'll get them. You just tell pastor. They get on you. Just tell me. I'll get them, okay? All right. Now, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You coming up here? You? Yeah, I mean, might as well go ahead. No problem. Anybody else need to see? I see an empty seat over here. Right here. Everything okay, y'all? Should we go back and start over? Okay, I just want to be sure. All right, now. Did you get this now? Let me read that again. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have it refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So you can see from this that something's been wrong in this nation, in the church, ever since day one, because the church has not followed God's lead. I'm sorry to have to say it, but as I have already pointed out in earlier lessons, judgment must begin at the house of God. And if we have God's Spirit in us, then somewhere along the line, we ought to let God's Spirit influence how we act 
and react towards other people. God does not look at the outward appearance, but the church does. I'm sorry to say the church does, and primarily the white church, or the white part of the church. I know it's not everybody. I said that before. I'll continue to say it. So don't take personal offense unless you're guilty. If you're not guilty, just shine it on. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about somebody, and it's a fact. Amen. I was in a denomination. I won't mention which one because I was in several over a 17-year period. They were here in Los Angeles. They had churches in the city. And as the population, the demographics changed and blacks moved in, these churches moved out. And they're great. They're a great missionary organization. They send folk to the far corners of the world to minister the gospel. But these black heathens that's moving into the community, they're not worth saving. They don't need the gospel. They don't need the white gospel. But the Africans, they need the white gospel. The people down in the jungles, of the Amazon jungle, they need white missionaries to come down there and tell them about Jesus. But these black animals, these, these, these apes that we talked about earlier in one of our other lessons, they move into the city and the, the whites move out. The white church, white church moved out. But they'll go across the world to plant a mission station. Something's wrong. They're not doing what God says. They're not looking at the heart. They're looking at the outward appearance. All right, let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 5. Now, I gave you several of these scriptures, but I'm only using a couple of them, a couple of the ones that I used last time, just to, because I, when I get ready to go to the next phase of this, it's going to, be, it's going to hit hard. And so I want you to be tuned up for this. First, first Timothy. All right, First Timothy chapter 5, verse 21. It says, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. And the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice. Doing nothing with partiality. The church in America should be sent to prison for life. They ought to have six life sentences running concurrently because they have violated God's word. They do things by partiality. And they're going to have to answer to God. Those in the church that are guilty. I didn't call any names. Now listen to this. Many Christians get righteously indignant about abortion. So much so that they are willing to go to the streets in protest. But they refuse to confront the racism right in their own churches. That is the epitome of hypocrisy. There should be, listen to this, there should be a nationwide and constant outcry 
against the sin of racism. Just as we publicly protest against the sin of abortion. Doesn't that tell you something's wrong? Come on, these white folks that get out here, don't take it personally now. But you know I'm telling the truth. You know me, I'm a straight shooter. I know it hurts. But it hurts when the doctor sticks a needle in my arm. Every time my doctor sticks a doggone needle in me. I can't stand needles. I hate needles. But I know that the stuff that's in that syringe got to go through that needle, needle to get into my vein to do me the good. As much as I hate the needle and as much as I hate the needle prick and I don't care what they do, it still hurts. They do all kind of jigamajoos to try to... It still hurts. But the medicine will help me. And I'm giving you medicine. Uncoated, no chocolate flavor, no raspberry coating. This is the real stuff, but it'll help the church. White folks will walk up and down and protest abortion. I mean, get loud and ugly on the street about it. When have you seen anyone, white people, carrying placards out there protesting racism and racial prejudice? Forget about society in the church. Protesting about it in the church. Let's go to John chapter 5. Let's get spiritual for a minute here. Get off of this reality stuff. No, 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 no. All right. But, but if you think about it, I mean, boy, something is so wrong. Values are, to something is so wrong about the church. When did the church go to the streets and protest slavery? Whoop, there it is. I know it's old, but it fits. John chapter 5, verse 17. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Uh, I'm sorry, First John. First John. My mistake. I told you I've been hanging around Betty Price too long. I'm going to Get off of me, you... Ah, get away from me, you forgetful spirit. First John. That's why I told you all to go at first. See, if you would listen to me and go where I told you to go, it all work out. See, you all insisted on going to the Gospel of John. I repent of that one, too. First John... 1 and 9. Okay, 1 John 5, first epistle of John chapter 5 and verse 17. This is what I want you to get. <laughs> Be sure I got the right one this time. 1 John 5 and 17. Yeah, all... Oh, wait a minute. Wait, don't read that. Look up, look up, look, look, look up, look. Don't, don't read that. Don't, don't anybody read that. I need to skip that verse. No, no, no. Don't, don't read it. I'm telling you. Don't look down. Don't read that verse. Well, maybe on second thought, I better read it. 
all, how much? Unrighteousness is sin. And there is a sin not leading to death, but that first part of the verse is what I want you to get. All unrighteousness is sin. Racism is a sin. Racial, ethnic, and color prejudice is a sin. So if you practice it, you are in sin. Right in the Bible, here it is. All unrighteousness, all of it, is sin. Now, in Galatians chapter 2, I want you to go there. I touched on this at, at another time in the series, but I want you to uh, go there and you'll get a better understanding of, of what I'm about and what I'm doing because I want you to, I want you to, to understand. Because I know, I know I'm hitting hard, but I was, I was instructed by God to do it this way. Okay, this is this is the way I'm, I'm led to go. See, Galatians chapter two. All right, you got it. All right, now look at this verse eleven. It says, "Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed." Now this is the apostle Paul speaking. Verse twelve. For before men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. Verse 13, and the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Verse 14, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all. If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? Now, here's the point I want to get to. Paul called Peter on the carpet publicly. Now, why do you suppose he would do that? Simply because Peter's prejudicial actions were done publicly and that's where they should be called on the carpet publicly see Paul some folks not they don't and I know some of you you don't like this you don't like what I'm doing but see everything I'm doing I'm doing it according to the Bible see I'm doing this publicly because that's where this stuff's been practiced publicly talked about privately Planned privately, but executed publicly. And in the public arena, that's where it must be challenged. Okay, now, listen to this. No, oh, I don't know if you're ready for this, but listen to this. This, this is. <clears throat> in a magazine entitled Creating Racism, Psychiatry's Betrayal. Published by Citizens Commission on Human Rights, copyright CCHR 1995, from an article on page 4 through 7. And I'm going to pull some things out of those pages. The subtitle of the article is, 
how, oh, get this now, how psychiatry lit the racial fires. That's awesome. How psychiatry lit the racial fires. Quote, the term eugenics was first coined by Francis Galton in 1869 in his book, Hereditary Genius. In summary, the theory of eugenics posed that defective persons procreated more rapidly and bred more readily than normal. The result being that society was flooded with inferior and unproductive people. In 1870, psychologist Herbert Spencer took Galton's theme further by coining the term survival of the fittest, a phrase frequently and incorrectly attributed to Charles Darwin. Spencer believed many people were unfit and unworthy only of a quick death, while selective breeding of the fittest could bring about a superior race. End of quote. Quoting again, Director, oh Lord Jesus, Director of the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute of Anthropology, Human Heredity and Eugenics in Berlin, psychiatrist Eugene Fisher urged the annihilation of Negro children. Fisher theorized that blacks were devoid of value and useless for employment other than for manual crafts. End of quote. Quoting again, in 1939, Fisher lectured students saying, now get this. In 1939, Fisher lectured students saying, I quote, I do not characterize every Jew as inferior as Negroes are. You get that? I, I will quote that again. In 1939, Fisher lectured students saying, and I quote, I do not characterize every Jew as inferior. In other words, in his opinion, some Jews were inferior, some weren't. But Negroes, all of them are inferior. Not some of them, all of them. Margaret Sanger, a eugenicist and the founder of Planned Parenthood of America, argued in 1939 for plans to stop the growth of black babies in the United States to cover up her plans to exterminate the Negro population, she suggested that black ministers be hired to preach throughout the South that sterilization was a solution to poverty. The common thread to psychiatry's scientific justification for sterilization brutal surgery, and other human rights violations was that IQ regulated behavior and status. By the 1920s, this was absolute dogma. 
IQ was congenital, inherited, and thus unchanging. In this way, the systematic social crippling of certain races could be carried out, if not by violent psychiatric treatments, then by denying them proper education. Sounds familiar. Employment and other cultural advantages. Around the... Oh, not now. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Around the same period, a prominent expert in IQ testing, psychologist Lewis Terman, used his test to claim that children of the poor could never be educated and that Mexicans, Indians, and blacks should never be allowed to reproduce. End of quote. The tendency of those who find it difficult to face such evil is to think that since those days we have entered more enlightened times. Unfortunately, this is just wishful thinking. In 1958, Audrey Shuey, author of the book Psychology and Life, wrote that IQ test scores inevitably point to the presence of native genetic differences between Negroes and whites. And this proposition has been spread even as recently as 1994 with Murray and Hairstein's book, The Bell Curve, claiming that African Americans do worse than whites in intelligent tests, are genetically disabled, and therefore cannot cope with the demands of contemporary American society. End of quote. Superiority, inferiority. The same old story. And you thought it was dead. In this same magazine under the sub subheading, <laughs> under, the sub uh, under the subheading, Psychi psychiatric oppression of African Americans, we find another interesting bit of scientific sleight of hand. On page 8, it says, quote, When Africans were torn from their families and homes and sold into slavery in the United States, science stood ready to define any disobedience or insubordination by them as a mental illness. So y'all didn't know you were mentally ill. As early as 1851, Samuel A. Cartwright, a prominent Louisiana physician, published an essay entitled Report on the Diseases and Physical Peculiarities of the Negro Race. In the New Orleans and Surgical Journal, Cartwright claimed to have discovered two mental diseases peculiar to blacks.
which he believed justified their enslavement. These were called, now, I may not pronounce this correctly, so some of you astute linguists, don't jump on me. I'm doing the best I can, okay? All right? I mean, after all, I'm mentally ill, so what do you expect? <laughs> What do you expect? I think I'm doing pretty good for mentally ill, don't you? I think I'm doing pretty good for somebody mentally ill. All right, listen now. These were called, the, now the, the two mental diseases that this Mr. Cartwright came up with. These were called drapetomania and diesthesia aethopus. The first term came from Drapetes, a runaway slave, and mania, meaning mad or crazy. Cartwright claimed that this disease caused blacks to have an uncontrollable urge to run away from their masters. All this stuff is documented. See, that's the reason why I wanted, I want to quote it so you don't just think I'm coming up with something, trying to get on people. This stuff is written down in black and white. Now watch this now. Oh, it gets better. Cartwright claimed that this disease caused blacks to have an uncontrollable urge to run away from their slave masters. The treatment for this illness was whipping the devil out of them. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Diathesia, supposedly affected both mind and body. Much scientific and statistical rhetoric was used to justify slavery. One 1840 census proved that blacks living under... Now, be sure your seatbelts are on. This is the nation we live in. Yes, yes it is. Our present is the result of our past. The thinking, all those things have been influenced by the past. Listen to this. Much scientific and... Statistical rhetoric was used to justify slavery. One 1840 census proved that blacks living under unnatural conditions of freedom. Listen to this now. That blacks living under unnatural conditions of freedom in the North were more prone to insanity. Dr. Edward Jarvis, a specialist in mental disorders, used this to conclude that slavery shielded blacks from some of the liabilities and dangers of active self-direction. See, this is how you have been looked at. The census was later found to be a racist facade in that many of the northern towns credited with mentally deranged blacks had no black inhabitants at all. In 17... Now, this one... You educated folk, you college graduates, 
you psychologists and psychiatrists and sociologists, listen to this. Love y'all, but listen. I want to get your attention, because this is going to blow your boat, not out of the water, off the planet. You're going to be in orbit. In 1797, the father of American psychiatry, Dr. Benjamin Rush, whose face today still adorns, adorns the seal of the American Psychiatric Association, declared that the color of blacks was caused by a rare congenital disease called nigritide. It would be funny if it wasn't so sick. It, it would be funny if it wasn't so sick. And I apologize, I mispronounced the word, it's nigritude. Congenital disease. Your color is caused by a disease. And it derives from leprosy. Now watch this. Rush said that the only evidence of a cure was when the skin color turned white. Using disease as the reason for segregation, Rush drew the conclusion that whites should not tyrannize over blacks, for their disease should entitle them to a double portion of humanity. However, by the same token, whites should not intermarry with them, for this would tend to infect posterity with the disorder. Attempts must be made to cure the disease. Whoop, there it is. You black folk didn't know your skin color was a disease. You didn't know that, did you? Well, thank God, watch this. Watch this, thank God. We have a God who believes in divine healing, and so he believes in the healing of disease. So black, come on for him in the name of Jesus. Come on, black, in Jesus' name. Be healed in the name of Jesus. I guess you don't have no faith, my brother. You're still, a, you're still the same color. <laughs> He's hoping and praying. Woo, I wonder when they're going to find a cure for it. Based on this assumption, everyone who is not white must have this disease to varying degrees. The black man's skin color is a disease. That's the best I've heard yet. If you think this is bad, let me give you another little tidbit of historical information. That will definitely straighten your curly hair. Did you know that when the Constitution of the United States was originally drafted, black people were not even considered a whole person. Reading from the Constitution of the United States under Article 1, Section 2, Number 3, it says, Representatives 
indirect taxes. Now, this was altered by the 16th Amendment way down from the original. But I'm talking about in the original, okay, when it was first drafted. So I want you to understand that. It doesn't say that today, but that's how it started. Okay, it says representatives and direct taxes altered by the 16th Amendment shall be apportioned among the several states which may be included within this union according to their respective numbers, which shall be determined by adding the whole number of free persons, including those bound to service for a term of years and excluding Indians not taxed three-fifths of all other persons. That's talking about you black folk. You were considered as three-fifths of a person by your founding fathers. I don't need no father like that. I'd rather be an illegitimate child. Now, this has been altered by the 14th Amendment, so it doesn't read like that today. I'm, I'm, talk, I'm going back to the beginning. Okay, I'm, I want you to see how it started because the beginning is what fostered all the other things, see. There, there have been some changes made. The only reason they made the changes is because it was protest. If nobody had protested, the things would have stayed as they were, and that meant then that was their original intent. Yes. Yes. All right. That's how we were thought of at the time of the drafting of the Constitution. Three-fifths of a person. That means that in the eyes of those who performed this, uh, formed this country, black people had very little value as persons. That is a low blow. And even though that part of the Constitution was amended, how many people after that and even down to this present time still think that blacks have very little value? Not everybody, we know that. I said that 15,000 times, I'll say it again. So don't get personal on me. Devastating damage has been done to the black psyche through the years of slavery and Jim Crowism. It needs to be fixed. Now, listen to this. In the Emerge magazine, February 1997 issue, on page 44, 45, 48 and 49. I'm going to just pull these things out and read them all together. Okay. There is a right. There is a right on article entitled Writing a Wrong by Laurie Robinson. The article is extremely thought provoking. I quote, Americans have difficulty dealing with the crime of slavery so much so that much of what is generated now in terms of the conservative atmosphere is undergirded by people who want to forget the past, who want to overthrow the responsibility for the past, who want to deny that legacy and its consequences. End of quote. Walter, this is in the same article, Walter says, this person is Ronald Walters, University of Maryland political scientist. Walter says, quote, there is a direct line in terms of the consequences many black people still suffer in America today because of slavery, end of quote. That reparations is attracting more attention comes as no surprise to some. This is the writer of the article. See, she quoted some things 
that others had said, and then she went on with her own storyline, okay? That reparations is attracting more attention comes as no surprise to some African-American leaders. For African-Americans, the need is obvious. Now, I'm not even going to try to pronounce this name because I know I'll mess this up. I don't have any idea how this is pronounced. So I want to be, uh, I want to be, give deference to the person. Uh, the name is A-I-Y-E-T-O-R-O says, and this person's name is A-D-J-O-A-A-I-Y-E-T-O-R-O, is director of the National Conference of Black Lawyers. Quote, the purpose of reparations is to repair a people for a significant harm that was done to them and particularly done to them by a government. End of quote. She says, apparently this is a lady, she says one of the issues, quoting, one of the issues that we deal with every day is that the vestiges of our enslavement and post-enslavement treatment in this country has been such that it has beat us down as a people in so many ways. Part of standing tall as a people is to say, you owe me for what you did and you need to pay. End of quote. Robert L. Woodson Sr., the conservative founder and president of the nonprofit Washington, D.C.-based National Center for Neighborhood Enterprise, couldn't disagree more. Quoting him, it's a waste of time and energy to be talking about reparations for something that happened so long ago. End of quote. He goes on to say, quote, why aren't we concentrating on going after sources of funds that represent our own money? End of quote. The author of the article goes on to say, but one reason many African-Americans haven't forgotten about the promise of 40 acres and a mule is that so many other people are collecting for past wrongs. Now, I'm getting ready to read something. You got your air sick bags with you? Do you have your air sick bags with you? This is sick! On January 12, 1865, three months before the Civil War officially ended, Union General William Sherman and Secretary of War Edwin M. Stanton met with 20 black ministers in a Savannah, Georgia church. The ministers told them that freed blacks needed land to sustain themselves. Sherman then produced a document dated January 16, 1865, which designated land for African Americans. According to his special field order number 15, I quote, the islands from Charleston South the abandoned rice fields along the river for 30 miles back from the sea and the country bordering the St. John's Rivers, Florida, are reserved and set apart for the settlement of the Negroes now made free by the acts of war and the proclamation of the President of the United States. End of quote. Of the 4 million newly freed blacks, about 40,000 would settle there assuming they could become permanent owners. 
the original Freedmen's Bureau Act, passed by Congress on March 3, 1865, granted land, quote, to every male citizen, whether refugee or freedman. As aforesaid, there shall be assigned not more than 40 acres of such land, and the person to whom it was so assigned shall be protected in the use and enjoyment of the land for the term of three years at any annual rent, not exceeding six per centum upon the value of such land. At the end of said term, or at any time during said term, the occupants of any parcels so assigned may purchase the land. End of quote. The following month, five days after the Confederacy surrender, President Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. His successor, Andrew Johnson, vetoed and amended Freeman's Bureau Act in February 1866, which still called for 40 acres for loyal refugees and freedmen, but changed the terms of the Bureau's commissioner, of the Bureau, changed the terms so the Bureau's commissioner could determine the cost of rent and returning whites could repossess their black occupied land. The Freedmen Bureau Act, Freedmen's Bureau Act, that finally became law in July 1866, made no mention of 40 acres. To the contrary, it called, now get this now, it called for restoring land about 850 thousand acres of abandoned and confiscated real estate to former white owners, many of whom had been accused of being traitors to the Union and were pardoned by President Johnson. End of quote. This is history. But they didn't teach you this in school. Oh no, they didn't teach you this. And don't want you to know it today. The writer of the article goes on, I don't think black people really understand reparations. Says David H. Swinton, a Harvard-trained economist and president of historically black Benedict College in Columbia, South Carolina. Quote, they think it's somehow, they think it's somehow radical and un-American. End of quote. Nations are paying damages for injuries and wrongdoings with land and money. Making amends or giving satisfaction for a wrong or injury as reparations is defined is a standard practice in international law. The United Nations negotiate, negotiates it. Some nations even give it without prodding from foreign governments or institutions. Now, listen to this. Yeah, dad, blame it, I am angry. Not at you. Not at you. Not at any person. But this is just unfair. (laughs) 
in 1976, Australia gave its indigenous aborigines more than 96,000 square miles of land after having appropriated it during European settlements in the 18th and 19th centuries. Four years later, Canada compensated Japanese Canadians with $230 million for World War II internment and indigenous peoples with 673,000 square kilometers of land after 13 years of negotiations over land treaty claims. In 1995, Austria promised Jewish Holocaust survivors $25 million. And about 10,000 people have received payments of $7,000 each so far this year, the year 1997. Iraq will begin paying $300 million for every $1 billion in oil revenue to victims of the 1990 Kuwait invasion, according to terms arranged by the UN Security Council. Now, there is some truth to those who argue that the modern debate over reparations was spawned during the formation of the State of Israel, says LCCR's Henderson. Declared a state in 1948, six months after the United Nations voted for the partitioning or the partition of Palestine, Israel was forged on 8,020 square miles of land, some of which was occupied. In 1952, Germany began giving reparations to survivors of the Jewish Holocaust. By 1980, the amount totaled $58 billion in today's dollars. Reparations, in fact, is very American. Since 1971, when indigenous Alaskans received nearly $1 billion and more than 44 million acres of land through the Alaska Native Claimed Settlement Act. Ethnic groups who have suffered mistreatment at the hands of the United States government have been demanding reparations and except for African Americans getting it. Everybody else gets it but us. I got time to get to this. You, you ain't heard nothing. During the 1980s, five Native American nations were paid sums ranging from $12.3 million to $1.1 billion for stolen land and broken treaties. Talking about Indians. Most recently, the Clinton administration attempted unsuccessfully to win reparations from Cuba through the intervention of the UN Security Council for shooting down last February two civilian planes believed to have violated the nation's airspace. The Japanese-American redress movement has become a model for African-American reparations activists. Raymond Jenkins, a Detroit activist known as Reparations Ray, says everybody thought it was a joke for years, thought I was a crackpot. They laughed themselves to death. And when the Japanese got their $20,000 each, then they stopped laughing. The 1988 Civil Liberties Act provided a formal apology and this nation has the unmitigated gall 
the audacity to sit in chambers and discuss whether or not they should apologize to black people for raping them for 400 years. Listen to this. Now see, we read it, all unrighteousness is sin. America is paying heavily for its sin. Japanese people who live here in the United States, Southern California, Southern California they, they shipped them out, put them in, in internment camps during the Second World War with Japan. After the war was over, through negotiations, they received every person $20,000 each and a formal apology. And our government, our nation, is wondering whether or not they're deciding whether or not they should apologize for enslaving blacks in America. Now think about this. Now this is what I'm talking about. See, we, this, this nation is wrong. I'm sorry. This nation is wrong. Now watch this. Listen, here's why they're wrong. Here's why they're wrong. They won't even apologize to the best citizens that they've ever had. No, listen, listen, listen. It wasn't black Africans from Nigeria that flew over Pearl Harbor on December the 7th and declared war on the United States of America. Approximately 3,000 plus Americans were killed by the Japanese on the day of Pearl Harbor when Japan declared war on the United States of America and then after that they gave them $20,000 a piece and apology for declaring war on them and black people have been the most loyal people to the United States. They have never ever declared war on the United States. Listen, 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 listen. We, we have been the most loyal people to this nation than any of the immigrants that ever came here. We have fought in every one of America's war and then got treated like dogs after it. And then the nation has the gall to decide whether or not we should apologize to them. Maybe we ought to declare war on them, and then maybe that'll get them to apologize. I mean, right is right, doggone it. Right is right. That's just downright criminal. That's just downright criminal. We have fought in every single war. We've been butchered and destroyed and shot up and come back to this country and couldn't even get a job. Just because we were black. And you say you're going to decide whether you apologize? In God we trust. What God?
And then some black folk got the nerve to talk about we shouldn't talk about reparations. We should let it go. Poor, simple-minded fool. Here, listen. We don't. Hear me well. And you FBI and CIA folk that are listening to this, listen well. Listen well. We are not. Watch my lips. We are not asking for anything special. We're just asking you out of the milk of human kindness and Christian love and charity, just treat us like you did the Japanese who declared war on you. Just do that. Just do that. Just do that. We don't want nothing special. Just treat us like those that declared war on you. Black folk have never declared war on you. And you talking about you're going to sit down and discuss whether you should apologize for 400 years of slavery? <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, 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 boy. My God, I'm out of time. Saints, there's not much I can say after this powerful information. It's not just a message. It is information that is truth. And I can understand why today and during the time that the Apostle Price, he was Dr. Price at the time, taught this information, why a lot of white people, especially in government, don't want this information out. They are trying to stop black history from being taught today. But you can't because the information is out there. You can't erase it. It's impossible. We have billions of documentation. And I am not the only one sharing black history on my platform. I will continue to share truth, whether it's political truth, black history truth, history truth, and Bible truth. And with that said, saints, I will continue to share more excerpts from this powerful um, series entitled Race, Religion, and Racism. And if you would like to purchase it, you can go to faithdome.org and look for the store, type in race, religion, and racism, and a lot of the products will pop up, such as this series, and um, it will be in DVD form, CD form, and now it's in flash drive, thumb drive form, and book form. And I will tell you, it is enlightening, it is educational. You need to let your children hear it. You need to let family and friends hear it. And I will continue to share this information. I can tell you this before I go. There was a company that reached out to me. They, they heard of my podcast and want me to share my information on their platform, but in a competitive way. And I flat out turned them down. There is not enough money on this planet to get me to stray away from the reason I share Bible truth. You can only grow when you hear truth. And America, let me tell you, until they pay for their sins, America, you are watching the destruction of America right now. 
America will continue to destruct and tear itself down until it is it no longer exists. Now, I am not a racist. Let me make this clear. I am not prejudiced and I am not a racist. I love everyone because the love of God is shared abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit. And it is impossible for me not to love human beings. Now, I don't want to be around everybody. I will not befriend everybody. But there is not a person on this planet that I won't do something for to help them if they are in need and if I have the means to do so. I love everyone. And that's what love is doing for others without stopping to inquire whether or not they are worthy. You are worthy of help if you are in need and I am able to help you. But I will not turn a blind eye to truth, Bible truth political truth, or history truth. With that said, live Christ, love people, take up your cross, peace out. I hope you were enlightened by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this episode, please send your comments or questions to Talking Bible Truth dot cd at gmail.com and if you would like to support this podcast financially because you were blessed you can donate from the platform you are listening on anchor spotify amazon music iHeartRadio, audible google Podcasts, apple Podcasts, radio public and more and contribute an amount of your choice or you can send your seed to my cash app dollar sign dr camilla d that's dollar sign, capital D, lowercase r, capital C, lowercase a-m-a-l-e, capital D. Anything you choose to send will be greatly appreciated. Now until next time, saints, remember that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We as believers walk by faith, not by sight. I am your host, Dr. Kamala D, rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. Thank you for tuning in and I hope to see you next time.